Good morning, everybody. How are you guys doing today? Good. My name is Marshall. If you're new, um, I'm one of the leaders here, and uh, we're glad to have you. And man, this week has actually, the last couple weeks, we have been ravaged as a church by like some pretty brutal sicknesses and hospitalizations. So if you are streaming online, hey, we miss you, uh, and we hope that you are doing okay and getting better, and we're praying for all of our sick and injured and hurt friends. Um, today, I want to give just a really, really simple talk, um, and I'd like to start out this morning with a question. How many people should a church like ours see come to faith in a given year? Like this church, Vancouver Vineyard Church, this couple hundred people that, that call this place home, how many people should be baptized because they heard the gospel from us in a year. And I know that some, you know, I know that this kind of question immediately stirs up all kinds of feelings in the room as soon as I ask it. Um, some people may have grown up in church world that uh, maybe had an unhealthy relationship with these kind of metrics and made it all about the numbers. And as soon as you hear somebody say that we should be hitting a certain quota or even suggesting such an idea, your, your walls in your heart immediately go up. Others of you might just start to immediately feel like this sense of panic or shame, like I'm about to send you out to preach on the street corner right after church. I might. <laughs> Some of you have never even given this question a thought in your whole life, and many of you probably assume, isn't that what we pay you to do, Marshall? <laughs> now, I don't have any specific agenda behind the question. I'm just simply asking it because it's been one that I've been kind of chewing on a little bit uh, in my own personal time with the Lord. In the Gospels, uh, which are the, the biographies of Jesus at the beginning of the New Testament, right in the middle of the Bible, um, Jesus arrives on the scene and he describes his mission like this. He says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's how he starts out kind of his description of what he came to the earth to do. And then at the end of Jesus' life, right before he goes to the cross, he's having dinner with um, some notorious people, a man named Zacchaeus, and he describes his mission again like this. He says, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. So we see from the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way through to the end of his ministry that his mission, that his ministry was singular. He came to proclaim good news to people who were far from God. He came to seek and to save people that he described as lost and when Jesus describes people as lost, he's not describing them as people who have lost their way and are confused and wondering which way to go. He's describing lostness rather as these people are supposed to be home with the Father, but they're not here. They're lost. And then as Jesus is about to depart from this world, he gives his people, his followers, this charge in Matthew 28, very famous passage. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. 
This is a, a passage that's commonly referred to as the Great Commission, really famous passage, Jesus' final exhortation to his church. And what we see in this moment is that the mission of Jesus becomes the clear and explicit mission of the church to make disciples and to baptize them. And so over the last couple of weeks, I've been wrestling with the question, are we prioritizing Jesus's mission? Does our church collectively reflect Jesus's heart for people that he describes as lost? Last year, our church saw seven people make commitments to follow Jesus for the first time. And we had the privilege of baptizing nine people. And do you know what the Bible teaches us is heaven's response to that? A huge party. Jesus describes heaven as erupting with celebration over the return home of one person. That is something to celebrate. Seven salvations, or, or seven salvations and nine baptisms for a church of our size, that is something to celebrate. And at the same time, we have to be mindful that our city has almost 200,000 people in it, the vast majority of whom have no life with God. And I love this church. We are doing lots of really beautiful and valuable things here. We prioritize prayer and worship, gathering together nearly daily to seek God together as a church. We serve the poor in our neighborhood. We reach out to students and families uh, from Hudson's Bay High School across the street. We pray for the sick. We invest in our kids. We care for our youth, and we share our lives together in community. We know each other, and we share our deeper selves with each other and support each other. We teach the Bible. We equip our people to do the Jesus-y stuff. These are some of the things that our church does really, really well. But, like, can we just be real? That with all of the money and all of our people and all of our time and all of our energy— are we really oriented together towards the people that Jesus says that he came for? And I hope that it's very, this is like such a downer. Am I starting this too, is this too heavy? Okay, good. I hope that it's really clear that I am preaching, I'm, I'm not preaching at anyone right now besides myself. Like I am the target audience of my sermon today, okay? But as I've, and as I've been wrestling and as I've been praying with these, these questions and bringing them before the Lord, I haven't felt for even a second that God is saying, be better, do more, produce, produce, produce. I feel the gentle hand of God redirecting my attention and showing me that my eyes have been in every which direction except for the direction that his eyes are on. In Romans 1, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation for everyone who believes, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. The gospel, the good news, is the power of God that brings salvation. And for many of us, the problem may have nothing to do with being ashamed of the gospel. It may simply be that we've lost touch with the power of the gospel. We've taken for granted the good news that has brought salvation to our lives. But let me tell you, friends, I was spending some time with other pastors uh, a couple of weeks ago, hearing stories of what God is doing in other parts of the country. And one of the things that I came away with was the fact that the gospel is still good news that brings salvation. 
And the gospel, it speaks to the core questions that reside in every heart. The things that every single one of us wrestles with from time to time. As Christians, if you're a Christian, sometimes you can fall into the trap of assuming that everyone else is fine without God. That no one really struggles with life's big questions. In fact, maybe they have less angst than we do. But that's just not true. To be human is to wrestle with these questions. In the middle of the night, when you're lying alone in your bed, awake and unable to sleep, haunted by some of these mysteries. And in a world of competing narratives about what the good life is, the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. It's an overarching story that answers the most important questions to us that all of us are asking at a soul level. So can I share the gospel with you guys this morning? Would that be okay? The first and and deepest question that resides in each one of us is this. Do I matter? Does anyone want me? Is there a purpose for my existence? And in the stories that our culture tells, the answer to the question is not really. Like if we live in a cold, unfeeling universe and we are the result of chance over time, then the question of meaning and purpose is actually kind of pointless. However, the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with the story of a creator God who made humans in his image for a purpose. And that purpose is relationship. He wanted to know and enjoy us. Our story begins with love. The Bible opens with God ordering chaos and creating everything. And the prize of his creation is humanity. And he makes us for the purpose of love and relationship. We are the objects of God's bottomless love. We are made in his image, which means that every human being has dignity and worth, not because they are people, not because of some abstract idea of human rights, but because God loves us, because he wants us. You are here this morning, not by accident, but by the very purpose of God. Before you were born, God knew you, and he loved you, and he wants you, and he is glad that you are here. Does anyone want me? God wholeheartedly says, yes. Do I matter? He says, look out at creation and see God's love expressed for you. He made all things beautiful and he still calls you the prize of his creation. We must remember to begin our story where God begins it. God doesn't begin the story of each of our lives with our brokenness or with sin. He begins it with love and with purpose. But something has gone wrong. In the third chapter of Genesis, page three of the Bible, we read that humans rebelled against God and that the perfection of God's creation was fractured. Every single one of us has been broken by our sin. We all stand guilty before a holy God. And all of us know this on some level. We all feel that there is something wrong or incomplete or disconnected on the inside of us. And while the world hates to call it sin, people all around us are full of guilt and shame and don't know what to do about it. You see, guilt says that I have done something wrong. And shame says there is something that is wrong with me. And the Bible says both things are true. The result of our sin is that we are broken and that we can feel it. 
Even though I am loved, even though I am wanted, I am broken. And so the next questions are, what has gone wrong in me? And in spite of all I've done, will anyone still want me? The Bible says that sin is a debt that we can never repay. It's a rebellion against our loving father. It's choosing another as supreme over God. Sin breaks us off from relationship with God, the very relationship that we were created for. And so we find ourselves feeling restless because we are outside of the connection that God designed us to have with him. And the Bible says that the result of our sin is death. It's being cut off from the source of life, God himself. And this is why, apart from God, we feel the pain and the dis-ease of our sin. The result of sin is brokenness on every level. Through our rebellion, evil and sin weave their way into the fabric of God's creation in every aspect of our humanity. One of the most obvious realities of our existence is the destruction that is caused by evil in the world, all around us and even within us. And sadly today, most people would prefer to see a therapist to be told that, that it's not their fault or that there's really nothing wrong with them rather than experiencing the salvation that comes from returning home to a loving father, to, wash, to be washed clean and to be made new through what the Bible calls repentance, which is just simply turning away from the old way and turning towards new life. And so people all around us are walking around carrying the weight of their guilt and their shame, looking for hope. Which brings us to the third question. Is there any hope? That was a rough slide to have stuck during announcements, wasn't it? <laughs> Is there any hope? How can I be saved? And the good news is that God has done something about this for us. God has come to save us. John 3.16 says that God so loved you and me that he sent his son, his only son, to die in our place for our sin. He died the death that we deserve to die, and he gives us the true life with God forever. The Bible says that Jesus made peace between us and God. Jesus came to reconcile us to our loving Father. In 2 Corinthians 5, we read that for, for God made Christ, who never sinned, to be the offering for our sins so that we could be made right with God through Christ. That is good news. And our salvation, it was bought by God. It's a gift. There is nothing that you or I could ever do to earn it. That any attempt to gain our own salvation in our own strength is actually an impediment to God's grace. It blocks us from receiving the gift. And so we are invited to come to him with empty hands. And when we do so, his love rushes in to wash us clean of all of the effects of our sin and all of our self-righteousness. The gospel is that you could never do anything to make God love you any less. And you could never do anything to merit his love anymore. All of the sin in our world and around us, all of the brokenness is being undone through the shed blood of Jesus. The aim of God has always been loving relationship with people and to see his goodness spread through his people all over the earth. God is redeeming all things through Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. In him, all things are being made new, which brings us to the last question. You guys still with me? Yes. We hanging in there? 
can anyone give me the power to change? The answer is yes. God's word teaches that the moment that you put your faith in Jesus' work on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, you become what Romans says is a new creation. The old you has passed away and the new you has come. And in that moment, God's presence and his power takes up residence in your life and he becomes your guide, teaching you how to live the life that God created you to live, to live like Jesus, to live according to his created purpose, to, to answer all of these questions of am I living right or am I misliving? Am I orienting myself in the right direction or am I living according to the purpose God designed me for? And then God fills you with the power to resist sin, he brings an understanding of his word. He transforms us over the course of our lives to be the kind of people who can live with him and enjoy him forever. And this is the promise for everyone who receives the gift of salvation. He says that anyone who says yes to him will actually receive something even greater. He calls it eternal life, which is so much more than punching a ticket to heaven someday when we die. Jesus defines eternal life as life in relationship with God. And it's something that we will experience now and will increase forever. So there you go. This is the gospel answering four deepest longings. Do I matter? Yes. God made you and he wants you and he loves you. He made you for relationship with, your, with himself and he created you to join him in his work changing the world. You are not an accident. You are loved. You are here on purpose. What's gone wrong? Can anyone love me despite my brokenness? Yes, you have been broken by sin. The whole world is affected by sin. You are guilty of doing things that are evil and your inner self is bent towards evil. Sin is the problem. Is there any hope then? Can I be saved? Yes. When you were at your worst, an enemy of God, hell-bent on do doing things your own way, Jesus died on the cross in your place for your sin. And all of the judgment that we deserved was absorbed on the cross by Jesus so that we are no longer guilty. God loves you so much that he broke the penalty and the power and the effects of sin on the cross so that you might be brought into relationship with our loving Father. Can anyone really give me power to change? Yes. The moment that you put your faith in Jesus, you are a new creation. He fills you with his presence, with his love, with his power to live a new life in his kingdom. And he is making all things new, filling you with power to go and be his worker in the world. You're called to share this message with other people, inviting them to experience the new life that has been given to you. This, my friends, is our story. If you are a Christian, this is your story. This is the story of everyone who puts their faith in Jesus. And so my question this morning to you, my friends, is do you know that story? Do you believe that story? Have you internalized that story so that it is the truest thing about you? I want to invite you to ask yourself these questions today. If you are not a Christian, or if you know that you have drifted away from God over time, and you want to make a fresh commitment to follow him and receive this eternal life, today the invitation is set before you. Will you take a step toward God today? 
we want to pray with you. And we want to help you start your, your journey with Jesus, experiencing new life with him that can begin right now. And so in a few minutes, I'm going to ask you to respond to this invitation. And for all of us who are Christians, who maybe uh, have prayed a prayer a long time ago or been baptized at some point along the way, I believe that Jesus is inviting us to refocus on his mission. Jesus came with a singular focus to seek and to save the lost. And his church is given the exact same marching orders. Theologian Christopher Wright says it like this, it is not so much the case that God has a mission for his church in the world as that God has a church for his mission in the world. Mission was not made for the church. The church was made for mission, God's mission. One of the ways that we as a church help introduce people to the gospel is through Alpha. Uh, we ran Alpha pandemic a few times, uh, recently ran it with some, some young people. Um, uh, but Alpha is essentially, it's a, it's a weekly gathering where we share a meal and then we watch a short video that explores some of life's big questions. And then we just have a time of discussion where no question is out of bounds. It's designed for people who are sort of exploring ideas of faith. And, um, and we're getting ready to run it again. So I want to show a quick video, um, if we can have that pulled up. Uh, to avoid copyright problems, we're not going to be cutting the stream to it <laughs> so you can stay with us. We discovered that if we show videos, people online lose us. So uh, the link should be in the chat if you want to watch it. Let's watch the video. father was a difficult man to get along with back then. I think he saw God as a crutch, and he saw faith as something for the weak, and he had given his life to things that he saw as valuable, uh, work and money and material gain. For a few months uh, after I started serving in Alpha, I felt that I should be asking my dad to check it out. But knowing my dad, I didn't think it was actually possible uh, until one day I was making myself lunch in the kitchen. And uh, he came in and he said, you know, I really have noticed a difference in you. Well, I uh, really honestly didn't want to go, but I'll do anything to support my, my children. And he knew that. Uh, he wanted me to be there, so, so I agreed to attend. The beginning was, because I was reluctant, it was a little uncomfortable for me to go walking in there the first week, but the videos were powerful. The atmosphere was extremely comfortable. It was like visiting with a bunch of friends and having a meal. What I didn't expect was that it, it expanded my horizons and, and opened my heart to, to understand faith better, and I really didn't expect that. Within a few weeks, I was totally enthralled with Alpha and look forward to going, which honestly was not the case in the first week or two. I wasn't in control. Um, there were things that were working in me that I was aware of, but I wasn't very open-minded. And Alpha basically gave me the opportunity to understand myself and my relationship with God so much better. 
Life is much more peaceful today. Still has its ups and downs. Life's like a roller coaster a little bit, but I think Jesus has kind of taught me to, to enjoy the ride. I invite people to Alpha all the time, simply because I know what it's done for me. People all around us are asking these questions, but most of us are just kind of left to try to figure them out on our own. And Alpha is designed to actually be a space to explore ideas of faith and meaning with other people that are also on the journey. And so we're going to be starting up another round of Alpha next month. Uh, it's going to be on Wednesday nights, and it's going to be beginning on April 19th and running through the end of June. And if you are new to faith, or if you are at a place in your walk with the Lord where you're just kind of wanting some space to be able to ask some hard questions and... Um, in a judgment-free zone and explore some of these ideas, I think that Alpha is a perfect place for you. My friends, like, who, who has God put in your life that you can invite to Alpha? Who are the people around you that you can invite on Easter Sunday to come and do the Easter egg hunt to, to celebrate with us and to hear the gospel? Who in your life can you share your story with and ask some of these big questions alongside of. Church, this is like, this is, this is 101 for us. This is what we are about as the people of God. It's not trying to add numbers or boost stats. It's introducing people to the love and the hope that we have received through Jesus. And so we need to do this together, church. And we need your help. Um, when it comes to Alpha, we actually need some more people who can volunteer on a weekly basis, particularly if you're interested in being a part of the team that provides the food. Uh, if you just want to cook and that's all you want to do, we could really use your help. But we also need to commit together as a church to pray for our friends who come to Alpha. We need you to invite your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers and your family members. We need to be the church on mission on God's mission, to seek and save those who are lost because that is who God is seeking and saving right now. And we're invited to join him. So will you join us? We're about to, um, I'm about to invite Ron and Nancy to come up and lead us in ministry time. But before I do, I just want to make one more appeal. If you have never prayed a prayer to become a Christian or if you'd like to recommit your life to Jesus today, all you have to do is pray a really simple prayer. In the book of Romans, we read that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. And so the prayer of faith is simply acknowledging that Jesus is the Lord of your life and inviting him to wash you clean of all of the brokenness all of the sin, anything that is working against you experiencing the true life you were designed for. And in that moment, the Bible says that you are cleansed from your sin and you're made fresh and clean and new. And so you can pray that prayer anytime today to become a Christian. But we also know that we can't do this alone, that we need others in our lives to help us along the way. And that's what the church is for. So if you make a decision today to follow Jesus, 
please come and talk to me. I'll just be right here in the corner of the room. You can talk to me anytime before or during ministry time, after ministry time, whenever. I would love to talk with you and pray with you. Or there's going to be people right up here at the front who are available to pray. And you can just come and share that you made a decision to follow Jesus. And we would love to pray for you and help you start your journey walking with him. So will you stand with me? And we're going to pray. I'm going to invite Ron and Nancy to come on up. Before we transition into a time of ministry, let me just pray for us. And if you would like to pray to receive Jesus, just pray along with me. Just say yes to what I'm saying. Lord, we thank you that you created us to be recipients of your love. That you did not leave us on our own to figure things out, but that you've designed us to walk with you in a relationship. And so I pray for my friends here this morning. I pray, Lord, for those who... Um, who may not know you, who, do, who would not consider themselves a Christian. And I just ask, Lord, that you would reveal yourself to them for them, Lord. Show them how much you love them, God. And if that's you, all you have to do is say, Jesus, I give you my life. I'm yours. And I pray for all of us as a church, Lord, that we would be people who carry this good news always everywhere that we go. I pray that the power of the gospel that at one point or another saved us from our sins would continue to, to wash us clean of the sin in our life and continue to give us confidence and hope that we are not alone and to, and to give us a future orientation to live towards what we were created for, relationship with God and his kingdom forever. So Holy Spirit, across the room right now, I just pray that you would rest on each person. You'd fill us afresh, Lord. You'd speak to us and that you would draw us closer to yourself. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.